Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Today, I am joined by Tom Cook from Blue Tiger International. Hey, Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, I appreciate being invited. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So, Tom, for our listeners who might not be familiar with BTI or yourself, can you give us just a quick little introduction of who you are, what you do, and uh, what kind of conversation we're going to be having today? Okay, so um, again, appreciate the opportunity to speak to yourself and uh, your organization and the members of that of that group. So Blue Tiger International goes back to the early 1980s, and we've been involved in supply chain management consulting uh, for that period of time. And basically what we try to do is to help companies who have a global footprint uh, manage their supply chains. And we focus on risk and cost, where there are opportunities to reduce risk and cost. So we get involved in aspects of logistics, freight management, sourcing opportunities, warehousing, distribution, all the various aspects of uh, the supply chain, bringing all the pieces together to the best interest of a company at the end of the day to make them more competitive in the marketplace. So that would be a good overview for you. That's great. And how did you personally get into the supply chain industry? I went to the uh, Merchant Marine Academy and spent a number of years both in the Merchant Marine and the Navy. Uh, So in both capacities, I was involved with supply chain um, in various aspects. I realized that I thought there was a real opportunity uh, in that commercially. So in the early 1980s, I ended up starting a a business involved in global supply chain using the skill sets that I learned both in the Navy and the Merchant Marine. And it's actually paid off handsomely for myself and my organization, as well as all the companies that we've serviced. And we tend to focus in particular disciplines and areas and the automotive area we've been involved with uh, from some of the larger car companies down to all the tier one, tier two, and tier three suppliers to that industry. That's great. Well, we'll start off by saying thank you for your service. And I wanted to dive in on the supply chain topic specifically, and that's why I thought it was important to have you on today. So, Tom, I mean, being kind of outside of that whole world, peripherally in it, I suppose, can you describe to me what the pressures on the supply chain are like right now? I mean, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of writing been done on supply chain chokes, pressures over the past, well, basically two years since COVID hit. And so can you give us kind of an update on the state of the industry? So in telling where we are today, I just want to frame where we have been in the last two and a half years. There's been a significant disruption to the global supply chain. And that that disruption it generated from the factor that demand and capacity don't match one another, meaning specifically that the demand for goods and services has significantly outreach the ability of the manufacturing community and the transportation infrastructure to meet that that demand. And the consequence of that falls into three areas. The first is that there have been significant delays in the movement of goods 
both in the international marketplace and the domestic marketplace. Secondly, the cost of those goods have risen dramatically and the cost of transportation to move the goods from point A to B, both internationally and domestically, have gone up dramatically. And because of those costs and delays, the third uh, element is uncertainty. It's created a tremendous uncertainty in the marketplace and all business verticals relative to, you know, when do I need to do my demand planning and how, how far out should I purchase and how much should I purchase to make sure that I could feed my manufacturing or my distribution needs to my customers. And that uncertainty has created a tremendous frustration on all supply chain executives and particularly those in your industry because a lot of the goods are sourced in the international marketplace, and that's where the greatest disruption has occurred. Which brings us to this point in time, as we enter into July of 2022, is that the disruption is now being more managed successfully by people in the supply chain because they've had more than two years to work at it. So a lot of the betterments and the easing that has occurred is just a result of people who are in positions of supply chain management learning how to navigate some of these challenges through this period of pandemic. Um, but in fact, delays still exist, but they're not as lengthy as they once were, uh, probably peaked somewhere in the fall of 2021. The second part is that pricing is starting to come down. And I'll give you a comparison. Is if I was bringing in an ocean freight container from China in January of 2020, um, the average price was somewhere between $2,500 and $3,000 to move it from China into some interior point in the United States. Um, at the height of the pandemic, that price went as high as $25,000, $27,000, 10 times as much that price went up. And here we are as we enter into July, that price has come down in the neighborhood of around seven dollars to $8,000 for that same 40-foot container coming from Asia into the United States. The delays, which may have been as much as 120 to 180 days, uh, are now in that 60, 90, 120-day period. So they're starting to diminish as well uh, in the supply chain. Air freight has been a more important component um, and the same thing there, the pricing is starting to diminish somewhat and the ability to move freight more timely and more successfully has also started to be prevalent. And our anticipation is that as we get towards the end of the year, we're gonna see some real improvements, both in the issue of timeliness of shipping and the pricing continuing to come down. I don't think it will ever come down to pre-pandemic levels, uh, but it will come down more than where it's at today. And as we enter into 2023, I think the first quarter, we're going to see some real improvement in the supply chain. And as we get into the second quarter, I think we'll be have most of it behind us at that point in time. Well, let's hope so. Now, I do want to circle back to a few points you made there before, but that was a fantastic answer, but it was very centered around the supply part, supply and demand. So let's kind of shift that to the consumer portion. So how and or why has consumer demand changed in the previous two years? So when, when I lecture in front of a group of people, I ask the question, how many people have more toilet paper in their homes than they actually need? Or how many have more uh, paper towels than they actually need? Or canned goods or frozen products in their freezer? 
and ask for a show of hands. And I generally get a pretty good response from the audience and kind of a giggle that everybody has a lot more than they need. And that's really the issue that's created the demand is the consumers don't want to be in a vulnerable position as they were in the first quarter of 2020, where there were shortages all over the place in the supermarkets and the big box stores for a number of products that they needed. So everybody bought as much as they can, and that process continued for the last two years. But uh, the powers that be in the government and in various associations and watchdog groups were starting to see that demand by the consumer is starting to diminish. The big box stores are already feeling that in the fact that they've seen a decline now uh, in consumer purchasing in the last 60 days. And some of the big box stores target, as an example, you know, have actually announced some super sales to get rid of the excess inventory that they purchased over the last two years uh, that they're concerned about that's going to go stale if they don't get rid of it soon. So they've put a lot out there. And you can see that in all the big companies, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, and companies like that all have, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of their inventory up for sale now. So consumer demand which has led the whole driving force of industrial demand and uh, has created this whole cycle that has occurred the last two years plus uh, is really now starting to diminish because the front end of it, the consumer is spending less. Some of that has to do with the fact that a lot of them have significant inventory balances themselves, but also has to do with the fact that the government funding, the PPE loans, the PPE money is starting to diminish. Uh, so a lot of people don't have the extra income. And then we have now the impact of the inflation which is hitting households across the country. So they're spending money on necessary items, not necessary luxury items that they were purchasing previously. So uh, that's that's having an impact um, and slowing things down as well, which is one of the hopes that the Fed uh, had when they put forth rate increases um, you know, on the interest rate. So that expectation has happened. The obvious concern of that is the combination of the decline in the economy with inflation creates the formula for recession. And that is an overlying concern that all business executives have in terms of trying to plan out the balance of 2022 and anticipating what they need to do in 2023. Yeah, I I think you put it unintentionally very succinctly and well before when you said uncertainty. I mean, that kind of seems to be the driving force behind a lot of that shift, both on the consumer side, but on the supply side as well. Correct. And the reality is that uncertainty is a difficult thing to manage because, you know, uncertainty by itself, you know, creates this circumstance where, you know, how do I make a more informed and better decision? And the reality is, is that there is a lot of data points and data out there so that even in the face of uncertainty, companies can um, make better and more informed decisions. And give you the example of this is that if you went to January of 2020, before the pandemic occurred, the typical supply chain executive, if they needed to move something from point A to point B, they would call a freight forward or a custom house broker or a trucking company, an airline, a steamship line, and say, hey, I need this picked up here and delivered here. And everything would be taken care of by them. And as we moved into the pandemic in 2020, in 2020 that, that luxury went away. And the supply chain executive couldn't just make one phone call and everything would be taken care of. The supply chain executive now had to worry about, well, is the manufacturer going to have the material available for me? 
Are they going to be able to get the raw materials and components that they need in order to produce for me? Is there enough space available on that vessel or on that aircraft? Are there enough trucks and drivers available? Are there enough chassis available? Is there enough space allocated to my service provider who can get freight on board a vessel or an aircraft? Um, And then when it arrived, do I have the trucking capability and how fast will it move through the port areas and the airports in order to get it in time? So the typical supply chain executive, and particularly those in, in your industry vertical, had to worry about a lot more detail than they ever had to worry about before. But the success of many individuals in this business vertical was the fact that if they paid attention to detail at a higher level and took a lot more information in, they could then make better informed decisions. And you were not able to ever eliminate the problems that were out there, but you were able to mitigate them okay, and lessen them to where they weren't as severe as in other companies that weren't paying attention to that level of detail. So I think one of the things that most supply chain executives learned as a result of the pandemic, and this has made them better and stronger, is the fact that they, they've had to dip down and pay attention to a level of detail that they never had to worry about before in order to successfully move their goods in the supply chain and manage both the downstream and the upstream side of the supply chain from the manufacturing all the way through to end-use distribution. Yeah, so... I really like the sort of forced adaptation point and, and the getting kind of done in the nitty gritty detail like you mentioned. So how does that translate into actual strategies companies had to take on? Or I guess what's a significant shift in the way they're thinking about just doing business normally? So I think that one of the shifts that has occurred is that the supply chain executive which has never had really access to the C-suite in corporations, now has access to the C-suite because I think senior executives realize how important supply chain was to their business models. And the fact that a lot of companies, particularly at the front end of the pandemic, uh, failed terribly because the supply chain was failing for them. So now supply chain executives uh, have great visibility to senior management. They are now positions being filled where they are in the C-suite of organizations and in smaller companies that not necessarily have a C-suite, but in smaller companies, they now have a greater role uh, in the general overall senior management of their organizations and they have input into the decision-making process. So I think that one of the big changes that has occurred in pandemic is the evolution of the importance and the significance of supply chain in every business model and it's now being taken care of much more responsibly. Uh, salaries have increased. People get, uh, in supply chain are getting more resources. They're getting more money to spend in technology, capability, additional personnel in order to make sure that the supply chain is taken care of more responsibly. And supply chain includes areas like procurement and purchasing to customer service, to logistics, to freight, transportation, distribution, warehousing. All those aspects is what I'm including in that upgrade of their profile in companies. I think that's been a big change and I think it's a big benefit. And I think it will have a longer term benefit because I think that uh, where supply chain has been in a substandard position in organizations, it's now risen up uh, as a much greater area of importance. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of had in mind about adopted strategies or a shift in doing business as it relates to supply chain companies 
was the huge explosion of nearshoring at the beginnings or mid-pandemic. Do you think that's something that's here to stay, or is there going to be sort of a reversion to the way of doing business before, just for, I mean, financial constraints? Sure. So the idea of nearshoring is the idea that we have to impact our landed costs. The landed cost is the total cost of bringing merchandise from an overseas market to point of value here in the United States. So issues about the acquisition cost, the freight that's involved, the duties, the tariffs that are involved, and distribution points uh, domestically all have an impact on what's referred to as this landed cost. So this became a much more important issue in 2016 and 17 when Trump became president and he decided to create a tariff war in steel and aluminum called the 232 tariffs and with China called the 301 tariffs, where he raised basically raised the tariff on certain goods to 25% additional above what the normal tariff would be. So a lot of companies, that significantly impacted their margin. Uh, so they had to take steps uh, to deal with this. So near sourcing or changing China as a resource for uh, sourcing became a primary responsibility of a lot of supply chain executives, particularly those in purchasing and procurement. Getting out of China became an option, um, and some companies just simply moved to countries like Vietnam or Taiwan, South Korea, Malaysia, India as examples. But a lot more companies said, well, if I'm going to move, where would I get the greatest value? So nearshoring brings it closer to home, and that means North America. So Mexico, Canada, and back here in the United States is really the nearshoring concept. And so out of the three of those, Mexico really presents a significant option. And that's where the world has seen a tremendous shift of Asian manufacturing moving into Mexico. And Mexico specifically has a program called the Maquiladora, which gives great advantage to companies who invest into Mexico, either through contract manufacturing or setting up their own uh, manufacturing or assembly facilities along the border between Mexico and the United States from California to Texas. And uh, just as a reference point, about 60% of the Fortune 1000 companies in America have a direct or an indirect relationship with the Maquiladora program in their sourcing. Um, and it's a huge growth area and really can dramatically impact um, the landed cost on purchasing in an overseas market, particularly in comparison to China, if you're looking at a 25% surcharge on goods coming in there, where you're now eliminating that if the, uh, the manufacturing or assembly is done in Mexico, Canada, or the United States. Yeah, and it probably eliminates, sorry, because you're, you're almost doubling up on freight, right? Where you yes. need at first the ocean or air, and then you have to have the by land transport as well, right? So now it's only the one method. Absolutely. You know, the trucking pricing and just when things tend to normalize is going to be about one third of the ocean freight pricing coming out of Asia to move something by truck from Mexico to an interior point in the United States. But more importantly than that, the overall costs come down because the management of the supplier is less, much less expensive once it's set up in Mexico 
than it is in China. To travel to China, the amount of time that's involved, the amount of cost that's involved as compared to traveling to Mexico is dramatically different. So just the overall management of the of the supplier, it, it, those costs come down dramatically besides the landed cost itself. And that's going to take us for another two-part episode of Auto Service World Conversations. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.